Welcome to My Favourite Beatles Song, the podcast where we celebrate the music of the Beatles with a distinguished guest. My name's Tim Tucker and today I'll be talking with Neil West, who works for Apple and spent 10 years at um, Apple Music in London. Hi, Neil. Hello, Tim. <laughs> nice to be here. Before we get to your song choice, how would you rate your level of Beatles fandom? Wow. Um, all right. Great question. Well, this is difficult because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself maybe a six. And that, that sounds like I don't really love the Beatles. What I'm really saying there is I'm acknowledging the headroom above me for complete fandom and obsessiveness. And I, and I know and I've met plenty of people who go way beyond me. So I'm going to give myself a six just with a little asterisk that says that still means I really like them a lot. So at Apple Music, did you have much contact with the Beatles organisation? My, my brushes with the Beatles in no particular order. And these, these are all through work. Um, I guess the first thing to say is that I have got to spend quite a lot of time on several occasions in Abbey Road Studio 2, which is obviously a sacred space as far as the Beatles is concerned. I've worked a little bit with the Beatles organisation uh, as part of my time at Apple. So I was head of music at Apple for 10 years. And in that time, uh, a couple of sort of notable things happened. The first was that the Beatles catalogue became available for download on iTunes. Um, and I worked, I was quite involved with that project. And then secondly, when we launched Apple Music, the streaming service, I was one of the small group of people who curated all the Beatles playlists for, for launch. I've also got to know um, through a previous job, I became quite good friends with a guy who um, was the late George Martin's manager. Uh, he managed George and he managed uh, George's son, Giles, who is obviously very involved um, to this day. And I guess those are my those are my little those are my little connections. You nearly got me to see him. I remember. I have this memory that you said it's possible we might be seeing Paul this evening. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I know. And in the end, I didn't go. It was really annoying. Um, but I have got to see Paul play in a in a nice in a small room with a great band um, subsequently, oh, wow. and it's uh, it is a magical thing. I bet. Yeah. On three occasions in my life, I've taken the time and listened to the entire Beatles catalogue from beginning to end um, on three occasions. One was when I was a student or around that time and discovering the world of music for the first time and wanting to, wanting to hear everything. Second time when the Beatles catalogue first became available on iTunes. And that's an interesting story. And, and Tim, feel free to cut this out. But um, so iTunes um, launched um, and became the world's biggest music retailer um, without the Beatles. Um, and uh, Steve Jobs had done a deal with um, uh, the people who run the Beatles um, affairs. Um, and the day came when uh, the Beatles stuff finally arrived and we were able to sell it on iTunes and it was a big day. Um, and it's funny, at the time, I was on that team and I was one of the people who worked to make that happen. Um, 
we all, um, or most of us, I should say, I don't want to speak for everybody. Most of us had the huge, hugest respect for the Beatles. But the deal that Steve had made with them basically meant that the entire of iTunes for almost, you know, six months was just completely plastered in the Beatles. It was Beatles, 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 Beatles. I remember, yeah. And and those of us on the ground were like, well, listen, we we love the Beatles. There's nothing wrong with the Beatles, but but there's all this other stuff. And, you know, the newspapers were full of stories about how when the Beatles stuff finally goes on sale on iTunes, you know, the entire top 20 is going to be Beatles songs. And we, and we knew that that wasn't the case, right? We, we knew that customer behavior doesn't work that way. And, and and sure enough, that didn't happen. And 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 please let me say, this is no this is no criticism of the Beatles. Um, but we we massively overpromoted it, and we had to deal with all sorts of um, issues with other labels and other musicians whose music we weren't promoting at that time. Because every time you turned on iTunes, it was Beatles, 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 Beatles. Um, and we all thought, Steve, you know, what have you done, Steve Jobs? Stupid Steve Jobs. Eh? Uh, and it was only afterwards that the penny dropped for me. But actually, what Steve Jobs had done was 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 genius, um, and it's all about brand association, right? It's not about on any given week maybe earning a few extra dollars by selling a few more of something else for six months or whatever the period was. He was able to associate apples apple with the Beatles, right? Beatles, Apple, Beatles, Apple, Beatles, Beatles, Apple, Apple, Beatles. Um, and what a what an amazing thing. And and he got them to think that he was that, that he was doing them a favor. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and in and anticipation of that, and, and around that time, we as a music team uh, just listened to everything of the Beatles from beginning to end. That was great. And then for a third time I did it when we launched um Apple Music and uh we needed to make playlists. Um, to put the Beatles music in context, right? Uh, so we had to make playlists like uh, 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 Introduction to the Beatles or Beatles Love Songs or Beatles for Kids or Experimental Beatles. Work out with the Beatles. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> we had to do all, exactly. It goes on and on and on. And we had to do all those playlists. And I was part of a small team who did that. We sort of took people from all around the world who, um, volunteered and who had a bit of an interest in the Beatles and um, you know we're up for this challenge and and that was great what a what a privilege that is to to be in a small way someone who um, helps introduce the Beatles and curate the Beatles yeah that's that was an honor um, so yeah and and you know maybe maybe there'll be a fourth time I don't know when that is um, but something to look forward to something Your your chosen track is something. So something was first released on Abbey Road, the Beatles album that was actually recorded last, but released uh, second to last, um, which was released in September 1969 in the UK and October the 1st in the US. A couple of weeks later, it came out as a single. Um, it didn't get to number one, which was rare for Beatles singles, but it did very well, especially in the States. Got to number three. Um, as we'll see, the life of the song has, has been very strong after that. It was the first time that George Harrison got an A-side and it was covered, uh, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, over 150 times, second only to yesterday 
in terms of cover versions of Beatles songs. So those are the facts. Why did you choose something? You, you were given the task of choosing a Beatles song. What made you go for this one? Well, it's such a difficult thing, isn't it, to pick. The concept of this podcast isn't inviting people to pick the most important Beatles song or the most revolutionary Beatles song or even the best Beatles song, right? It's, it's your favourite. Yeah. So thanks for that, Tim. It's very clear. And, you know, just for the record, if it had been any of those other things, I might have picked a different song. But my favourite is something. One, it's just a stonking fucking song, isn't it? It's it's just amazing. And it's surely, you know, no coincidence that it's um, George's first A-side as a Beatle. I think John Lennon is on record as saying it's the best thing on Abbey Road. I don't think Paul said that. I think, <laughs> I think, I think John said that. But I also love it because there's maybe not much, there's maybe not much Lennon on the recording, but there's a whole lot of Ringo. The bass line from Paul is extraordinary. The George Martin string arrangements are just fantastic. So, okay, with the caveat that there's not much John, perhaps, it is an example of just a, a Beatles song that was written by one of them, and yet it's all of them that, that bring it to such a high standard. It's likely John played piano on it, although some people think it's George Martin, and it's buried quite deep in the mix. The other thing is there's a, an early version of the song where they did a whole outro, like a Hey Jude style outro, based on a riff that John played while he was, because he definitely was playing piano in that version. And you can hear, you can hear this sort of extended riff at the end where they go off into one of John's piano, which he later used for Remember, uh, one of his solo songs. Well, that's fascinating because um, uh, I hadn't digged as deep as that um, but um, one of the places where I go for all Beatles knowledge is revolution in the head. And they do say that at one point it was over eight minutes long, this song. Um, and so that's what it was. I mean, on the one hand, I would love, love to hear it. Um, but it's, of course I would, but it's perfect as it is. I'm glad they, I'm glad they cut it. It took George a long time to write this song. Apparently it took George a long time to write all his songs, certainly in the Beatles period. Um, so he had it hanging around since the White Album and it took him a while to develop the lyrics. But there's a great bit of studio chat where he's asking John advice on how to write the lyrics. He's got something in the way she moves, attracts me, and he doesn't know what it's like. What attracted me at all? Just say whatever comes in the head each time, attracts me like a cauliflower until you get the word. You know? <laughs> And then I guess the, you know, the other big reason is George is the best Beatle, isn't he? Explain. Okay, I'm not going to say he's the best, but I'm going to say he's my favourite. There you go. That, that's easier, right? That's less contentious. For me, he was always the cool one. Um, he was always the one um, that just had that look in his eye. Lennon bought a little bit of darkness, but George George bought a whole bunch as well. And, and the Beatles needed that. Um, and it's often forgotten, I think, and it's often overlooked when you've got all of McCartney's beautiful melody and, and lightness. Um, and, you know, we'll never know what, um, what John would have gone on to do. 
Um, but some of some of George's later stuff, not all of it's brilliant, but some of it's just amazing. And and it's for me now when um he's just grown. In when I when I listen to music now, it's George that just comes through even louder than ever before. Even even sort of less perhaps serious stuff like the traveling Wilburys, right? There's some there's some great traveling Wilburys um songs. And and you know it's his voice alongside Dylan's, uh, Roy Orbison's, um, uh, Tom Petty, right? And yet it's it's the George Harrison voice that comes through, right? That's quite some company, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite some company. And when you know even the even the Beatles stuff, Free as a Bird, um, the Jeff Lynne produced stuff that they did. When was it in the in the late eighties? Can't remember. Mid nineties. Um, for me, it's the George. It's that George guitar solo that just just comes through and it just makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end um so anyway it has to be george and something i think is is has to be the one i mean it's interesting isn't it because his he'd written songs before previously um on most albums not all he'd, he'd had a song after the first album but this does feel like his first fully formed i mean the fact that it gets covered by frank sinatra elvis you know, James Brown, Smokey Robinson, you name it. Um, it. You don't get into that league until you've written a proper song. No. And, and of course, we know he goes on very soon to write. Well, of course, there's Here Comes the Sun, another great song on that album. And then he goes on to write My Sweet Lord and loads of other great songs. But um, yeah, it's definitely his coming of age. Like. He was 26 when he recorded it, amazingly. That's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. The, I think the only note I'd add to that is I would give an honourable mention to While My Guitar Gently Weeps which um, uh, which I have to say I always, I always liked as a Beatles recording, um, but the doors got blew open for me when I listened to the anthology uh, and there is a acoustic demo version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which is just George on guitar, which is um, just absolutely spellbinding. And it was that that they took um, and then uh, they for the for the love recording that they did with Cirque du Soleil, they George Martin did a string arrangement. And I was just reading up; it was the, it was the last thing that George did before he died. Uh, he did the string arrangement for to add to that acoustic demo of While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which again, if people haven't heard it, check it out. And it became the centerpiece really of the Cirque du Soleil Beatles thing, um, and it's amazing. I look at the floor. And I see it needs sweeping Still my guitar gently weeps I don't know why Nobody told you How to unfold your love something is a fully crafted song isn't it and it's a it's a a love song as well he didn't tend to write love songs um he you know he wrote songs moaning about the tax he wrote songs about don't bother me and waiting for somebody on blue jay way so this is his first proper love song now um it's apparently about patty although he's sort of later said that's only part of it but it is a be it's an interesting love song isn't it i don't know how much you pay attention to the lyrics but it's quite ambiguous no i agree but I think all of George's love songs are ambiguous. 
And, you know, he always, certainly in his later songs that you might call love songs or devotional songs, um, it's never clear if he's singing about a woman or if he's singing about God. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there's, he's, there's the quote, right? He's, um, all love is part of a universal love. When you love a woman, it's the God in her that you see. Um, and later songs, I think perhaps my favorite, my favorite George song, something's probably the one actually, but very close behind is um, I Live For You on uh, All Things Must Pass. Um, and that's the classic, right? I live for you. I want to be close to you. Um, you know, you're, you're the one that brings meaning to my life. Is he singing about a partner or is he singing about God? Um, you know, he's, he's singing about both. And I, and I love that ambiguity. The more you think about that idea that love, specific love is actually part of a general love, it's very much his kind of philosophy. I mean, the very title, something, we don't ever learn what the thing is. But also in the bridge, which in the bridge it goes to that, you're asking me, will my love grow? I don't know. So there's that ambiguity about how how he feels about this and how it's going to go and where it's come from and where it's going. I've always interpreted it as that celebration of that initial spark because he acknowledges, he says, right, will it, will it grow? I don't know, which implies it's at the beginning, but that he's seen, he's seen something and, and he just knows it's true. Right. And, and you're right, Tim, I hadn't thought about this before. This is great. We can go down this wormhole. And, and what's brilliant about that is that so many songs are written about that first spark, right? And that meeting someone's eyes and knowing that they're the one. But usually that would be a very, you know, quick, uplifting, exciting, skippy song, right? Whereas this isn't that, right? It's, it's, it's a lot calmer. It's, um, it's like a breath, it's a breath out. Um, and it's funny, you know, when I'm, now, now you've got me on a train of thought. When I when I met my wife, that's how it felt. You know, I met my wife, and I knew straight away that she was the one. But it wasn't a it wasn't a heart skipping McCartney. You know, um, <laughs> run through the run through the meadow. It was a it was just a quiet. It was just a quiet knowledge. It was a certainty. And it was, uh, it was, it, it feels like something. There's something mindful about it, really mindful about it as well, because he's describing really subtle things, isn't he? Somewhere in her smile and something in the way she moves. Those, those are really things that you have to really pay attention to someone to really pick up on, aren't they? Well, that's what you do when you're in love, right? Frank Sinatra said it was possibly the greatest love song of all time. But he also said, and it never says, I love you. Well, all the best songs do that, right? Well, at least for me. All of the best, no, none of the best songs are explicit. Using words and phrases to just paint pictures is fine. I, I don't need to be explicitly told that the singer loves someone. Somewhere in a smile, she knows that I don't need no other lover. Something in the style. The sound of it is a big part of it, isn't it? One uh, commentator talks about how it feels like sighing almost, the, the melody, and that's reflected in the strings. It's a, a dropping semitone in the, in the melody, something in the way she moves, drops the semitone, then drops another semitone. So that little line that goes down is like a little sigh, isn't it? Or a little sort of crying motif almost. Something, something like you said that's not 
the bursting out McCartney style, but the sort of contemplative wistfulness of it. Yeah, it's like it's like he's talking to himself, looking looking at the object of his affection. And yeah. these are just the train of thoughts running through his mind. And it, and it might not even be articulated. And he's articulated it in song, but that's what it is. It's him in a, in a quiet moment, relaxing in it and, and turning it into an amazing piece of art. And then, though, it does go into A major, actually. So it starts in C. But in the uh, You're Asking Me of My Love Grows section, it's quite an unusual key change. I've always found that middle eight. Um, beautiful but annoying because it's where I can no longer keep up with George when trying to sing the song. Um, that I, I, you, you'll tell me I don't know what that high note is. I don't know. I don't know. I can't reach it. I like to play it on my ukulele and sing along to just for my own benefit. And the middle eight, I always have to go to a falsetto and I can't do that. And it, it's annoying. Thanks, George. It's another emotional gear, though, and I think that's another reason why it works as a song because it could, if it had stayed in that first register all the way through the song, it could have ended up a bit low key, couldn't it? It needed something to lift it, and it was, I think, a great inspiration for him to move to that key from C major um, to A major and lift the whole song with those lyrics. So George's guitar playing on this, perhaps his finest on a Beatles record, do you think? I can't think of anything better. And, you know, it's the guitar solo is, it's one of those guitar solos like Hotel California, like Stairway to Heaven, like there's a handful of guitar solos, another brick in the wall. It's one of those guitar solos that you just know every, every single little nuance of it it's just in there right because it's so perfect and it's it just goes straight in It took him a while to get it right. He recorded this in the uh, when they were doing the orchestral overdubs because he wasn't satisfied with the previous version. And it said he wasn't satisfied with the end version, which I find incredible because it is so beautiful. I read the same thing. And um, what I read said that um, in both of those recordings, he played exactly the same notes in the same way. So the conclusion being his dissatisfaction must be something to do with the tone um, or, or otherwise of the sound of the guitar. Yeah, if you hear the live versions that he plays solo later on into the 90s, they are very similar. There are some divergences. It suddenly occurred to me when, when somebody mentioned that he hadn't played a guitar solo on his own songs with the Beatles since his first song with them, Don't Bother Me, which was back in 1963. So he got Clapton to play the solo on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And his other solo songs, don't um, like Taxman, it was either Paul playing lead guitar or there wasn't a solo, which is quite... Interesting, given he's the lead guitarist, it's weird that it's taken him this long to get back into playing a guitar solo. Late developer. You mentioned We Can Sing It, and um, I've got a great outtake where McCartney and, and Harrison are doing the backing vocals, and in the break you can hear McCartney, it's clearly McCartney, singing the guitar solo underneath it. Do, 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 do. 
Well, when I and my, you know, <laughs> to my own satisfaction, play something on the ukulele, I sing the guitar solo as well. As you say, it's it yeah. it it just comes out. It just works. You mentioned um, Ringo. So um, interestingly, Ringo um, apparently had in the past relied on studio production techniques to kind of get his drum sound. But on, on Abbey Road as a whole, he followed the example of Levin Helm, you know, Levin Helm, mm -hmm. the drummer with the, the band. And he began to use a drum set equipped with old fashioned caskin heads. Uh, and he used the toms a lot more than he'd ever used before. In fact, he said Tom Tom Madness was the way he later characterised his playing on Abbey Road. Well, something, it's, it's all toms. Paul's bass playing. Controversial. You said you loved it. I love it. Um, apparently, George thought it was too busy. Well, we'll never know, right? I mean, we'll never hear the, we'll never hear the alternate take. Um, I mean, maybe we will, right? Uh, and maybe it's out there. I, I haven't gone looking for it. Um, I've I've not heard anything less busy. No, not not from the Beatles. Yeah, for sure. There's, yeah. you know, the Revolution in the Head, right? Great book. They they call that out as well. They I can't remember what they say, but they say that that Paul's um, baseline, yeah, is is just a little too clever. Um, but um, you know, really, really, you you listen to something. You let it, you just let it wash over you. You experience it, you absorb it, and then afterwards, you want to start picking holes in the baseline. Now, come on. But the, and the other thing, of course, is, as you say, the strings, 21-piece orchestra with violins, violas, cellos and a bass. The, the chords go from C, C major 7, C7, F. There's a lovely little semitone descent there from C, B, B flat, A into the F chord, which gets picked up by, I think, the violas, if I'm right, which I love. If you have a close listen to the string arrangement, you can really hear that descent, which is lovely. Other people who've said amazing things about it, Elton John said to Rolling Stone, it's probably one of the best love songs ever, ever, ever written. Better than yesterday, much better. It's like the song I've been chasing for the last 35 years, which is a great quote from Elton. Do you know Ian McNabb from Icicle Works? He, um, he, he named it as his favourite Beatles song. And he said, it sounds like the beginning of George Harrison's solo career and the prototype for that whole 70s 10cc Fleetwood Mac kind of soft rock sound. Um, plus that third verse invented early 70s Pink Floyd. Mid-paced, nice chords are kind of lapsing into peacefulness, but aware that it could go wrong at any moment. That is great. I mean, at the beginning of this, Tim, we acknowledged that this was absolutely a step forward for, for George. Um, and, you know, it's very clear that had the Beatles stayed together for longer, I think George would have demanded and would have been given much 
much more say in um, in the sound because he's, he's just impossible to ignore. You know, no no more just the two token album tracks. Um, he he had emerged, um, and you know, I think if you listen to All Things Must Pass, you know, just this huge outpouring of all this pent up material. Um, not all of it's golden, but so much of it is. Um, and yeah, he if if you can say that. And fair enough, right? If you can say that the end of the Beatles kind of coincided with McCartney and Lennon just a little bit spent or at least needing to take a breath. I mean, what, what was it Lennon said, right? He spent a decade breathing out. He needed to breathe in. Um, well, in the background, George was, he was just getting started. And even, you know, even George Martin has, um, has, has been on record as saying that they treated George unfairly um, up till then. He said, um, I think the trouble with George was that he, he never was never treated on the same level um, by anyone. I'm as guilty in that respect. I was the guy who used to say, if he's got a song, we'll let him have it on the album. Very condescendingly. I know he must have felt really bad about that, but gradually kept persevering and his songs got better until eventually they got extremely good. Something is a wonderful song, but we didn't give him credit for it. And we never really thought he's going to be a great songwriter. I'm sorry about that now. I hope George got to hear that, George Harrison. But um, it seems like they all kind of underestimated him for a lot of the Beatles' career, didn't they? So, Well, I think it began, I mean, if you go back to the very beginning, right, they were, they were teenagers and George was a couple of years younger, right? Um, and, you know, and forgive me, I can't remember the exact ages, but I think Lennon and McCartney were 17 and he was 15. Lennon was a year older than McCartney as well, so yeah. There you go. At that age, you know, that's huge. And um, it's just going to immediately set a dynamic um, where, and let's face it, right? No matter, I mean, he was George Harrison. He might not have been at his best, but it was Lennon and McCartney that he had to try and push off push off the, the microphone, right? I mean, so you can see how it happened. Absolutely. I loved the... Um, uh, the documentary, the it was Scorsese, yeah, and it's three hours, but it's it's just wonderful. And as I touched on at the beginning, you know, I for me, George is the one, and George is the one I identify with. And you know, in my own, you know, in my own little way, I've been a seeker of truth. You know, I went to India, I did my share of hallucinogens, and and you know, for the last. 20 years meditation has been a part of my life and um uh and you know like george perhaps my dream is to end up living in a quiet place with a lot of land planting trees and occasionally you know staying up to watch the sunrise perhaps and um and i'm just aware that george is is a guiding light for me in that respect i don't know why i don't know how but, but if you ask me who my heroes are, you know, George Harrison is one of them. I think, I, I, you, you all know, but I, I'm sure I read that the, um, the most streamed Beatles song was actually Here Comes the Sun. Yeah, that's right. A George song. Yeah, a George song. Of course. I mean, he would love that, wouldn't he? He died before you, you did the, the iTunes stuff. Is that, am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that was one thing I missed out on. We, um, uh, as part of another iTunes initiative, um, it was another iTunes initiative and it was called iTunes LP. And the idea was that um, when you bought an album on iTunes, in addition to getting all the music files, you would get a, um, 
you would get something else and it would be something that you could view on your um, computer or on your iPad or on your iPhone. And it would, it would be the equivalent of the sleeve notes, right? right so back right. in the day when you bought an album or even a CD, you'd get something which had photos and lyrics and whatever else the artist wanted. We, we introduced this for iTunes too. Um, and one of the, um, uh, and, and I can't remember how, how it came about, but, um, some of the Beatles content was, uh, the first albums to be given this. Um, and I remember, um, as part of the approvals process, because of course the Beatles estate is very complicated and, um, the people in charge do a very good job. Um, but nevertheless, they've got to jump through all sorts of hoops to get all parties signed off on something. And what someone had to do on the iTunes side was go and get sign off from George Harrison's estate. Um, and I was away that week, so I didn't get to do it. But the person who did got to go to um, meet with Olivia Harrison at, at the old house and sit for the afternoon and uh, just go through the project and they ended up staying for tea and 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 having a look around and and I was just dying with jealousy <laughs> I just wish that I'd been able to do that yeah that's a shame you mentioned you played the ukulele version you're a ukulele player I know well I am and I'm you know I, I'm always loath to um, admit that in some ways because um, usually when I hear someone else playing the ukulele I hate it <laughs> And, um, and I really don't enjoy it. Um, and for me, it's too easy to do the plinky plonky George Formby <laughs> rinky dink. Rinky dink. Yeah. Um, and I think very, very few songs are improved by the ukulele interpretation, right? <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Um, I play the ukulele because, um, for me coming to, a stringed instrument late in life. Frankly speaking, four strings are a lot easier to get my fingers around than six. Uh, and it's a lot easier to carry about. That's why I play the ukulele. And I do my best when, um, you know, interpreting songs only for my own benefit. And we have an audience of one, me, um, of, of making them sound not like ukulele interpretations, but doing the best I can. But I do love, I do get comfort from the fact that George was a massive ukulele fan and he would make gifts of ukuleles to people we know. Um, and he would have ukuleles at his house and he would take them with him in the back of his car. And I know that many of the Travelling Wilbury sessions began or finished with George handing out ukuleles and, and them getting on with it. So, uh, I, again, feel that uh, in some small way, George is guiding me, and um, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I imagine the spirit of George is in you when you're playing your ukulele. Um, yeah, exactly that. Paul McCartney, makes when he introduces this, because he often plays it live, and he often starts it with a ukulele version. Have you heard that? Version? I have. Yeah, I have. Hey. Something in the way she moves Attracts me like no other lover Something in the way she woos me I don't want to leave her now Well, you know I'm leaving now mm -hmm. and, and I have to say, for me, 
don't enjoy it. I find the um, the verse um, arrangement a little forced, and of course, there's still lots to enjoy, right? It's still it's still a wonderful song. It's wonderful to hear Paul of all people um, playing that song. Um, obviously, when you hear Paul McCartney singing something, it, it just evokes so many emotions and thoughts of um, the relationship between them, and and that's all great. But musically. I don't know. I would never play it for fun. I like the version that they do on the um, concert for George. Don't know if you've seen that. So it's a full star lineup with McCartney and Eric Clapton on guitar, and Jeff Lynne's there, and you know everyone's there. And he starts it like you say, and it's quite an quite interesting take on it. But then when the band come in and and Clapton kicks off, it becomes the song we know and love, and it, it it's a really nice transition. Actually, lifts gives it another lift from that little intro. It does, and it, it it's it's wonderful to see all those musicians on stage together. I agree. They do lift the song. Um, it, it is a um, it is a great celebration of that song. Well, you're asking me my love grows. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you stick around. talk about the ending oh yeah you mentioned the ending yeah um just that I, I guess what i'd say about the ending is um we've talked before about how the song um ultimately the feeling is one of calm it's one of certainty um it's one of um appreciation but that there are moments in the song where the pulse quickens right and there are moments where there's a little bit of tension uh what does the future hold i don't know um, and it's the same with the ending. It could easily, it could easily just fade out, and we could just be left with this calm moment. But before we get there, there is that one more question asked, perhaps, and then it's resolved, and then we get to be peaceful again. Yeah. What happens is it goes to that A again, which is the chorus, and then he repeats the phrase again, but ends on the C, which is the home key. It's that kind of questioning where he goes off to a distant key. And then the resolution back onto the C major. And it comes full circle. It finishes as it began um, with the same mood, the same feeling of um, just quiet certainty. Are there any other songs you'd like to give a special mention to from the Beatles that mean something to you just in brief um yeah thanks Tim because you're right it's it's very difficult picking one um and I narrowed it down to two uh, and I almost chose I feel fine um a very different song. very different yeah. song different era very much a Lennon song um but it just sounds so fresh and so exciting um 
and the guitar Lennon and Harrison playing guitar again it's 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 a, it's a it's a it's a Lennon song but it's a Beatles recording you've got you've got McCartney you've got Ringo you've got George it just sounds amazing and you know I play it to my kids um and my daughter who's 15 has just got into the strokes um which is great um but I I play I feel fine and she's like what's that um and how and how amazing is that right um and just that initial that and the intro with that beautiful feedback um so I first time on a record apparently first time on a record so it was almost that just because you for me I can't listen to it and just not grin um and from and that having talked a lot over the last half hour about how something's so wonderful because it's a little more subtle, it's a little more ambiguous. Let's not forget rock and roll is, is also about just making you smile from ear to ear and jump up and down. And I feel fine does that for me every time. So I almost picked that one. Um, and then we could, we could go on forever about others, but, but perhaps I'm going to leave it there. I want to say a big thank you for doing this, Neil. Um, so is there anything you want to send people to? Or Thanks, Tim. Um, well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's an honour and it's an absolute pleasure to talk with you and just take out the time to think about the Beatles and talk about George Harrison and something. Um, uh, I continue to work for Apple um, and I would encourage everybody to check out um, the Beatles recordings, which are now slowly but surely becoming available in Dolby Atmos spatial audio. And we could talk for hours about that and there's plenty of people who don't like it and it's sacrilege and blah 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 and, and let's not get into all of that um but it's uh, everyone everyone who consider themselves a beatles fan should should check these out um and i urge everybody to do that i i agree i, I mean it's such a great experience um on the headphones to hear to listen to music and feel that immersed by it you can do that by either downloading the the, the on itunes or signing up to apple music yeah that's right three month free trial for apple music if um if you if you want to just give it a go thanks so much again um that was great thanks tim thanks for listening to my favorite beatles song i'll be publishing new episodes every two weeks so please subscribe through your favorite podcast provider to get episodes as they're released if you like the podcast please leave a review or rating as this helps us to reach new listeners you can follow the podcast on facebook and instagram at my favorite beatles song and twitter at my fave beatles See you next time.